Hello everyone and welcome back to Rain on Your Parade. Today we're continuing the Cruel Summer podcast. Moving right along very quickly so far. Um, let's hope I can keep up this momentum and get you guys like the full season um, before October. <laughs> I don't know if I'll be done before October, but maybe like right at the beginning of October. Um, yes, um, we should be done with this before like the middle of October, you know. But um, today we're doing episode three, and it's called Off With a Bang. And let's just jump right into it. Um, So I'm starting the episode, and we're doing the previouslys on, and while we're watching commercials and previouslys, um, let's talk about what else I've been watching. <laughs> yeah, just some funny, random, mindless junk. Uh. And also, I started watching The Stand since I got I got Paramount Plus on just specifically to watch um, the original Are You Afraid of the Dark, <laughs> which is like, I love things like that. But it's cheesy and the episode titles, one of them was literally called The Tale of the Dangerous Soup. So <laughs> it's like, you know, so I got that and then The Stand was on there. So I'm like, I might as well watch that. So I've been watching The Stand and let me tell you what. You know, I like some of the characters. I like a lot of the actors. But <laughs> when it got to the episode, and this is a spoiler for The Stand, but when it got to the episode of Nick and Tom's, like, uh, like the episode where Nick and Tom met that blonde girl at that furniture shop, I was like, you know what? I just want this show to be all Nick and Tom. Like, honestly, I love these two I love these two. They're my favorite, too. Nick, and, and I love Nick, but Nick and Tom together, I'm like, just show me their adventures. Like, what? why can't we have a show where we just forget everyone else and all this drama between, you know, everything that's going on? Like, just show me the adventures of Tom and Nick, where it's like, I, I just like them so much, and they love each other, and it's just like, I I want to see them more. Like, give me more of these characters. Like, okay, and the dude that plays August, I can't remember the actor's name, but he plays August in Once Upon a Tom, and he played, like, a side character who was friends with Harold on the stand, and it's like, he's a cinnamon roll, and the fact that they did what they did to him, I just, mm -mm, I like, I wanted him, I'm <laughs> like, course you're gonna do that like I knew they were gonna do that but that's like you know I'm annoyed because I'm like I like that actor I love August and Once Upon a Time so anytime I see that actor I'm like so I want him to continue especially like his character in The Stand it was like likable and like into all this stuff that I'm just like I want to see a world where it's just like this guy and maybe Dana because she's awesome and because I love the actor that plays Dana on there too. Like, I love that actress. Um, she was on Under the Dome and on um, the Netflix series The Island, which I thought I wouldn't like because I'm like, they're just copying Lost. And, uh, you know, but I'm like, whatever. It's just one season. I'll check it out. And I'm like, it's not bad. I like that actress. And um, she's kind of like, she reminds me of. Um, What's that other actress? I mean, she's like really well known. Michelle Rodriguez. She kind of reminds me of Michelle Rodriguez in a way, but just like sh she's cast 
as the characters that you would think Michelle Rodriguez would get the character roles for, you know, like they kind of have the same like characters. They always get the same characters that each other would probably get. It just seems like, but, um, anyway, I just like that actress. And so I'm like, yeah, I like Dana because I like that actress. And I like that one guy because of the, the actor that played August played him. And plus I just like, he's all into like movies and stuff. He's like, I'm going to open a like, drive it and stuff and I'm like he is cute that's who I would if I was in this town like I would want to be in that town obviously <laughs> you know but <clears throat> I would want to be I wouldn't be like all into it I'd be like whatever I'm just doing my thing but this is where all the people are so I'm just gonna come here it seems safer and calmer and everything so I would want to date that guy that played August <laughs> I'm like I want to date him he's or Nick, like, I, I'm in love with Nick, like, he's hot, and I'm like, I don't know what y'all are thinking by not putting him in, like, every episode, but if we could see, like, a show where it's just Nick and Tom just having adventures, I'm down, like, that's what I want to actually see, I don't care about, like, you know, if you just, just like, you know what, we're just going to show you Tom and Nick's adventures across the United States, like, doing stuff, having adventures, I'd be like, this is the actual show I want to watch. <laughs> but anyway, I just had to say that. Because um, I'm not going to be covering that show on this, for sure. I'm probably never going to watch it again. Um, just like, I don't know, it's got that Stephen King feel. And I'm, I spotted him. I spotted him at the Herringford Holden. Like, Nick and Tom were actually the ones that saw him. Saw this, like, poster for the Herringford home. They were looking for it, and they saw the poster, and Stephen King was in the poster. So I'm like, so he's in this, uh, I think it's a nursing home facility. So it's like, well, okay, Stephen King. <laughs> That's what you think you're going to, and I'm like, I spotted the Stephen King in this. He was also in Under the Dome. He was sitting at the um, bar at the diner where Angie worked and said, hey, Angie, can you give me a refill? Or something like that about coffee. And I'm like, spot the Stephen King. This is like, where's Waldo? Like, I'm a Stephen King fan, obviously, because I'm trying to read all his books. I have The Stand, and it is the thickest book in the world. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't want to read it, but I'm going to watch it first. And maybe I can just, like, breeze through it and be like, well, I know, you know, I don't know how closely. I mean, I know he's part of making the show, so it's probably close to the books. So I'm like... Maybe if I watch it, I can kind of just, like, breeze through the book faster. Because it's over, like, a thousand pages. So I'm like, hmm, this is going to be a tough one. But I have some books. I got, because I'm trying to read through every one of his books. And I got, um, right now, I have read 23 of his books in my life. And it seems like not very many. Like, I figured I had read a lot more than that. As a child, which maybe I have and I just forgot, but, you know, um, some of the uh, short story collections, I think. But, because I, I bought, like, a short story collection of his and I was like, I haven't read this. And then I, like, started reading the first, Everything's Eventual is what, what that collection's called. And I'm like, I haven't read this. And I started reading and I'm like, oh, wait, no, yeah, I have. <laughs> because it's harder to remember the short story collections because I remembered that I had read um, Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption and The Body, which was turned into Stand By Me. I read both of those. They're in the same book. 
um, <clears throat> that was in different seasons. But as far as like the other short stories of his I've read, I didn't really remember. You know, I remember reading, I read The Mist. So whatever short story collection that's in, you know, I read that one. So it's like, every, I'm like, wait, what all is in this though? Like, I can't remember the short story collections I've read. I just remember the stories themselves. So it's harder to remember which ones of the collections I've read. So I'm like, maybe I've read most of his collections, but of short stories. But um, anyway, when I was buying books to read of his, I got um, Under the Dome, 112263, and The Stand, because I've, well, I've seen Under the Dome and 112263. So I'm like, it's easier to read a book that I've saw the show for, because, you know, I already know what's going to happen. Um, but it's just... It's just yeah, and I kind of want to see it from that perspective, so it's more... Anyway, I'm just going off about that, but <laughs> when I got the stand in the mail, I was like, mmm, yeah, <laughs> and I hadn't seen it yet, but I knew it was coming out. They also made Outsider. I've read The Outsider, but they've made that into a show, and I don't want to watch it, because <sighs> I'm like, why would you... Because Holly Gibney is in it, I love Holly Gibney, and... um. I don't know why they they changed the actress and I don't I don't care who the actress is that they got to play her in the second one. I just the way she's described in the books as being like looking like she's in her 30s while still looking like a 12-year-old. Like they nailed it with the actress from when they made the show Mr. Mercedes and that's just like why would you not have that same actress because she's exactly I don't know I just have I just and plus I didn't really like the book The Outsider is more because Mr. Mercedes was more like a thriller you know it was like uh you know just a detective it didn't have much supernatural stuff and uh The Outsider did and it was just kind of like I read it but because I read it because Holly was in it but it was not the same. <laughs> it's not very good. If it bleeds, I read that too. Um, yeah, elevation. I'm not a fan. <laughs> I like his older stuff more, honestly. But I did like the Mister Mercedes series, just uh, and and Doctor Sleep. I like that. But my favorite of his is Gerald's Game for sure. And I've seen that and read it. <laughs> I've seen, I've read Misery, but I've never seen Misery. I think it's more important to have read it, to have read the things, than to have seen them. Because some of the movies were poor adaptions. I don't want to ever, like, I'll probably read Maximum Overdrive. I'll probably never watch it. Because <laughs> I know, um, I've heard that it really sucks. So, anyway. Uh, yeah, let's get into this. Cruel Summer, Episode 3, Off with a Bang. And we're doing the previouslys. Kate's big scream at the end. That was amazing. I'll have to read this and then I'll try not to interrupt as much while it's playing. The events that are about to unfold take place on approximately July 4th, 93, 94, and 95. So this is July 4th. We went from the 26th of June to July 4th. Not it's about a week later. Okay, so we start off with Jeanette taking this little quiz in like a teen magazine, which is like so relatable. 
And then she takes her glasses off to clean them and her mom comes up and starts micromanaging her and kind of like, <laughs> I mean, this is kind of annoying to me because her mom's like, I like seeing your whole face. You should give contacts another try. And she's like, no, no. And I'm like, so her makeover is essentially take off your braces and glasses and straighten your hair. Like that's just, it's like so simple really when you think about it, like what a difference that makes. I mean, it does make a huge difference in the way she looks, but it's not like, you know, she looks different, not necessarily, I don't know, better, I guess I would say. I don't, I don't know. It's just, it's fine. Like, and then they're watching the news and, um, harm the reporter's talking and then somebody lets off a firework behind the reporter and Jeanette's like, holy S-H-I-T and her mom's like, Jeanette and she's like, smiling a lot that, that like, something exciting happened or something, like, it's like she's I don't know she likes trouble, she likes danger she likes surprises and stuff like, she's just a thrill seeker I guess you would say and then we switch over to the same reporter talking about Kate Wallace is going to go on the news and tell her story. And Jeanette's mom sees that and she's like worried about it. And Derek is like leaving, but he's got this like bandana and his hair is like sticking up everywhere. And it's like, what are you even wearing? He's so Nandi's dude, bro. Like, I mean, he's, he's a nice guy though, but he's just... It was just his outfit, whatever. But her mom's like really concerned about if Kate's gonna tell her story. Is she gonna like continue telling people? Is she gonna talk about Jeanette the way she's been telling people that Jeanette saw her and didn't say anything? Like, so yeah. And we see that the uh, rumors have started to have an actual effect. Like Derek tells her, like friends have un uninvited him to parties, and like um, their dad lost a job on like a house because he sells houses and um she's like this is ridiculous because this is a teenage rumor why are people taking this seriously um and she's like tell your friends that it's not true and he's like that's a great idea and it's kind of like sarcastic like obviously he has and she's like well tell their parents <laughs> like she's concerned about it and it's kind of a contrast from like 93 whenever she was her biggest concern was like getting Jeanette to like take off her glasses and be prettier or whatever. And now her big, you know, her concerns have grown tremendously. <clears throat> and I kind of start off thinking that I don't like Jeanette's mom that much, but, you know, because she's kind of trying to micromanage her and like, I just don't like, like that whole when moms or parents either one try to like make their kid who they want them to be you know I don't like that especially when they come like comment on the way they look and stuff and it's like you, okay give them a complex you know like that's what you're doing that's the only thing you're doing you're not helping anything you're just giving them a complex but anyway <laughs> I have issues so I didn't think I liked her I thought she was just another version of Joy Wallace you know but We'll see. And obviously, this is a Jeanette episode. And then we see that Jeanette has been listening this whole time to this conversation between her mother and Derek. And she's like, So I have caused my family this drama. And then we switch to 95. And Jeanette is pulling up to a red light. And I forgot to mention that her hair is like incredibly short, 95, which... I think they should have did a thing where like somebody put gum in her hair or something and she had to cut it instead of doing this whole Britney thing or like 
every time somebody's like having a bad day they cut their hair off I mean I've felt like it before but it's not the only thing to do um but anyway she stops at this red light and uh pulling up next to her and also stopping at the red light is Kate Wallace and Jeanette sees her and she turns around (laughs) she like looks forward and closes her eyes real tight as if like she can you know make her go away like she she like she she's hoping that once she opens her eyes again Kate will just disappear like she's a figment of her imagination and she opens her eyes again and Kate is there and um Kate sees her and is like I mean, when she opens her eyes and looks over, Kate is staring, like, right at her already. And, um, Kate jumps out of the car and is like, you! And, like, comes over. (laughs) And, um, I'm gonna watch her yell at Jeanette, because it's fun. I mean, I'm I'm not saying I'm on either of their sides, it's just, this is fun. (laughs) Kate is ready to throw down. She's like, get out of the car, get out of the car. And she's like, not only did you steal my life and my boyfriend, but now you're coming after my family's money. What other sloppy, sloppy seconds of mine do you want? And she's like, get out of the car, you chicken SHIT coward. <laughs> Finally, the light turns green and Jeanette can drive away. She's been wanting, she's like sitting there like, come on, come on, come on, like trying to get away. Kate's like banging on the window, like get out of the car, get out of the car. <laughs> she wants to fight. It's It's like, I mean, I kind of admire Kate. Like she's not just sitting back and like crying about this she's like ready to throw down she's like no I'm not taking this I'm not taking this you know I've taken too much crap already and I'm traumatized and I'm not taking your bull crap like it's just (laughs) I like it as you can tell I have a favorite of these two but (laughs) I can't help it I mean even if I didn't know the ending I was still kind of you know like uh yeah but then and Kate yells, you are actual trash, Jeanette Turner. It's like, okay, then. And then we see Greg, Jeanette's dad, working on a car. I'm pretty sure Michael Landis is his name. <laughs> but um, Greg is working on a car, and Derek comes up and tells him, like, I heard from some guys at the gym that Jamie's the one that gave Jeanette her black eye, and he tells him all that, and he's like, what are we going to do about it? So obviously we go over there and bang on the door at Jamie's house to fight him. <laughs> it's like everybody's fighting. Like, And uh, Derek's like, I keep telling you, Mom, this is serious. Like, These rumors are not going away. We have to do something. So he wants to do something about it. Which he's being a good brother. Like, I, I don't blame them both for being mad about this, obviously. I mean, obviously they should be mad about this. And they have this little conversation with Derek, and it's all exactly what you would expect. And he, Jamie says, um, your daughter's not who she thinks she is. And Derek's like, what's that? Huh? I'm going to beat you up. And, and, you know, like her dad stops him and he's like, you touch her again and we're going to have a very serious problem. But I feel like Greg is starting to think, you know, not that she deserved that, but like there's more to this than what you know just silly rumors you know and so anyway um they kind of have a little little confrontation there and jamie's mom's like you know just leave you guys like she's kind of like who hit jeanette what the heck you know she's like you did what like oh no (laughs) you know but i don't know what goes on between them after if the door closes but then somebody else is knocking another door in 95 so that was in 94. Yeah, it jumps around. Sorry. 
And it's the same door. <laughs> and the police are bringing Jamie home, so we see that he did not straighten up. But the police says, like, her mom's like, what did I tell you about loitering? And the police is like, stalking is what Greg Turner's calling it. And he's like, it's a public street. And he's like, pick another one. Like, he's been stalking Jeanette. So, I mean, sitting outside her house. Just, like, staring at it, <laughs> stalking her, which is like, why? Okay, what is going on? Uh, why is he stalking Jeanette? Like, is he mad at her? What What's going on? And then we go back to 9-3, where, like, the trio, is, I'm going to call them. It's, well, every time I say the trio, I'm going to be talking about Jeanette, Vincent, and Mallory. So that's the trio. <laughs> that's a very funny. Uh, then we, like, go back to 93, and the trio is sitting there, and Mallory is holding up a bag of joints. And um, I don't know why I felt like I had to whisper that. Like, <laughs> a bag of joints is pot, you guys. Oh, my gosh. But anyway, so <clears throat> Jeanette's like, what is that? And she's like, it's contraband. And Jeanette's like, what are we going to do with it? And Mallory, just like the camera looks directly at Mallory. And she's like, we're going to get high. <laughs> it's like, I can't do the Mallory voice. The bros do this perfect Mallory voice. I wish I could do it. She's like, we're going to get high. <laughs> she looks so happy about it. And I'm like, a little bit of Harley is coming out in that a bit. But, uh. <clears throat> the bros mentioned this too it seems like a lot of Mallory's scenes are the camera looking directly at her you know it's weird that they always do that to her for some reason like I don't know but anyway she's stolen some of her mom's pot and uh, she wants to smoke it because <laughs> they have a list you know and part of their list is to get uh, contraband, steal something from someone. It's like a lot of the things on the list seem to be illegal things, but okay. Like, if I was Greg Turner, I'd be like, okay, you have this, because Jeanette told her no, she's telling Derek about the list, but I think she might have told her dad, too. I can't remember. But it's like, I would be like, what? where's this list? Oh, no, she definitely told Greg about it because she they were talking about it. But anyway. Um, so, yeah. Mallory wants to smoke pot. <laughs> and the list item was swipe contraband. So they have to take something from their own house. And um, Vincent got some cooking sherry that he says tastes like salt and ASS. And um, I'm trying not to cuss. And uh, Jeanette has taken one of her brother's um, porn magazines. She's like, it has boobs in it. It's not pot. And um, it's not drugs. Mallory's like, and I got pot. I guess that would make me the winner. Because what she got is like the most, you know, edgy. And um, Jeanette's not happy. She doesn't want to smoke it. And um, or she's saying that she doesn't want to smoke it. And Mallory's like, what the heck? And she's like, it's said to swipe the contraband, not consume it. And it's like, so. But Vincent tasted the sherry and you looked at the boobs. So you have consumed that. I don't know. It's whatever. <clears throat> Mallory says that she, her uncle took her to a whole concert and she was pretty sure she got a contact huh? Wow. <laughs> but anyway, so Janice, Mallory's mom calls and Greg is like, she wants you home. And it's like, she's like, Janice? Oh, okay, cool. And then like, she leaves and like, Jeanette and Vincent look relieved that she's gone, but they still have, and Jeanette kind of looks like, Almost got in trouble, but didn't that she gets a high from like almost getting in trouble. Like it's, it's they're just showing us it. she has, she loves danger. It's just a thing she likes. 
Um, but anyway, <laughs> I mean, just, just, just what they're showing us. And Vincent kind of like pretend passes out on her pillows <laughs> dramatically. Like Jeanette's outfit totally doesn't match at all. Like she's wearing striped shorts with like a flowered top. What? Whatever. So <laughs> she's trying to figure out what to do with it. And she's like, we could give it to someone. And Vincent's like, I'm pretty sure that's drug dealing. <laughs> I don't think so. But um, <laughs> then she's like, what if we bury it in the yard? He's like, what if we bury it? And she's like, then it could take root and start growing pot plants. And then she decides she wants to tear it up and flush it down the toilet. And he's like, she's going to be mad. And she's like, it's for her own good. Okay. I mean, it's just pot, you guys. Like, I'm sorry, but, you know, it's going to be legal soon. Not for them, I guess, in 93. It was a big deal, especially to, like, 15-year-olds. <clears throat> the stuff this reporter is saying, because we flashed to 95, and, like, after Jeanette's been like, oh, no, no pot, I'm a good girl. <laughs> and then we flashed to a, a reporter talking about Jeanette being like, she's suing her. She's suing Kate Wallace, and she's like, some people are wired differently. It's not that they're evil, it's that they're wired differently, like, that's detrimental to people around them. They think that they can bend morals to suit, blur the lines of morality to suit their needs at every turn. And it seems like Jeanette has been doing that. And um, Jeanette's sitting there watching it. Then we hear the door and then we switch back to 94. There's a cop there that's like, Jeanette, this is serious. And you know, like Greg and Derek are running back from where they went to De De uh, Jamie's house to like confront him. And so Jeanette needs to be questioned by the police due to allegations against her. So they want to take Jeanette in for questioning and Greg's like, is this mandatory? And she, they're like, no, but it'll be helpful. And Jeanette's like, well, anything to help, right? Like, And uh, Greg's like, well, let's go get my wife. And they're like, you're joining us? And he's like, you're questioning my underage daughter. So yeah, I'm joining you. And it's like, well, that's understandable of him. Like, he's trying his best. It's so hard. Maybe maybe I was a little harsh whenever I said Rob Wallace had a better personality than Greg. Because Greg is having a time of it. I mean, so did Rod, obviously. Because his daughter went missing for, like, almost a year. But, like, you know, Greg's being put through the ringer as well. So maybe that has a lot to do with his, uh, you know... <laughs> He he's just very emo, which is like understandable that he would be because he's like, he's trying to keep it together. He's like, I just got back from yelling at a kid who hit my daughter, and now my daughter's getting getting questioned by the police. Like, he's a little stressed. <laughs> so in '95, we see Vince working at the video store, which is like cool, and uh, he looks great. He looks really, I don't know, his looks have improved a lot. <laughs> in a couple years like he just looks really cute he calls ben and ben's like i told you to stop calling me and i'm like and uh all this and they're talking about lawyers and he's like vince every time you call me it brings me pain and it's like oh what, what's going on there you know and then we get back to Jeanette in 95 uh scrubbing things off of her car um she's <laughs> cleaning some spray paint off her car and um <clears throat> our van she drives a van <laughs> and uh she, i like it when shows do this like we hear music over the soundtrack and then when Jeanette takes her headphones off the music like lowers i love it when they do that like they take it from being the overall music to like 
a music localized as being something the character's listening to. I, I like that move. I don't know why. It just makes me happy. But anyway, um, Greg's like, what's a slam pig? Because it says on her van, lying slam pig. And she's like, a term used to disparage women and equate lying with loose sexual morals <laughs> choices or something like that. And I'm like, basically, they're calling her slut, but I've never heard that term in my life. A slam pig? I don't, I, I don't know what that means. I've never heard that in my life. But okay, Jeanette. Um... But it is rude that people paint on her. Because I'm like, at this point, like, I don't even know who to believe. Like, when I'm watching this. And it's like, do you have to go this hard of, like, attacking her? Like, if Kate is telling the truth, she might be. She not, you know, I don't necessarily think, I never thought Kate was lying. But I thought maybe she was mistaken. And if that's the case, it's like, they're both victims and they're both innocent. And, like, you know... <laughs> it's like so I never believed that like one of them was lying and tell one of them you know I never thought that like Kate was lying I thought you know she was mistaken maybe I thought that the show was gonna do that like I'm not gonna say what happens but it's just like as somebody who doesn't have all the facts which is, like, exactly what this town has is, like, not all the facts. So it's, like, to, first of all, attacking Jeanette like this is not helping anything, even if Kate's right. So it's, like, I just don't agree with attacking her and making her life a nightmare, you know, like this. Um, if Because what Kate is accusing her of is not... Even what Kate's accusing her of, it's not like Jeanette put her in a basement or attacked her or did something wrong to somebody. It was like she knew about it and she didn't say anything, which could be a thing that happened. Even if Kate, even if it was like, if that's exactly what happened, like you're not in Jeanette's head. So an outsider, you don't know for sure why she wouldn't say anything like a teenager a teenage girl who found somebody kidnapped in a house. Like, you know, if she did that, and even if she knew that Kate was down there and didn't tell on purpose, it's not necessarily mean that she's just like, I'm glad she's kidnapped, you know. It could mean that she was afraid to tell because she was afraid maybe Martin Harris would come after her or something, you know what I'm There's so many reasons why she wouldn't tell that don't have to do with her being a bad person. And I'm not saying that's the case. I'm just saying, like, it's a possibility. So <laughs> the fact that, you know, you would want to, like, not attack her if you don't know why, you know, even if she did it, why she did it, you know? So it's like, I, I don't agree with attacking her regardless, you know, of the situation. <laughs> it's like, but why? Even now, after seeing the whole entire series, it's like... Oh, but why? You know, but why did this happen or why did that happen? It's like, you know, and I'm not saying, like, she did see her because she didn't see her. I don't, she didn't see her. But it's just, what, you know, the things that did actually transpire, you don't know why they happened. Even after the whole series is over, I'm not trying to spoil it. But, like, even with all the information we have, we don't know why still. So it's like, 
the go-to thing is like it matters you know why does matter in this situation like if she had actually hurt somebody the why doesn't matter like when it comes to martin harris like people say he did this because he did this because he locked a girl in a basement the whys of what martin harris did do not matter because what he did is bad enough to be like it doesn't matter why it's too bad you know he locked a girl in a basement <sighs> i watched a video on YouTube of like Martin and Kate I guess it was like I don't know they thought it was romantic it's just like ugh. but we'll get to that later but it's just like the apologist the Martin Harris apologist in the comments I was just like I cannot believe people are like some people were like well Kate's to blame I'm like you've got to be kidding me I can't believe there are people that are actually like saying <sighs> we'll get to it in that episode later on but it's just Makes me angry. But anyway. She actually says it's slang for slut. <laughs> and Greg Turner is like, wonderful. <laughs> like, what a reaction to that. So Mallory comes back and uh, Jeanette and Vincent are playing Jenga. And um, she finds out that <laughs> Jeanette has flushed it. And Jeanette is just playing awkward very well. I just... <laughs> and um... She's like, you, I did a list item and you repay me by flushing my mom's bag of joint. <laughs> bag of joint. But anyway, she, um, she says she's watched Janet seriously just called me Holmes so that um, I could, because she, she couldn't find the remote. She's like, now she's watching old movies, which means she's definitely going to smoke. And I'm like, Janet, uh, What'd she say her mom's name was? Janice? Is it Janice Ian? Like, that sounds so relatable. She's watching old movies. Now she'd be too... Yeah, Leah. No, this is in the 90s, so it wouldn't be Janice Ian. But, um... Yeah. Is that what she said her mom's name was? I literally just heard it. What the heck is wrong with me? But anyway, yeah. Watching old movies, getting stoned. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds relatable. But, um... So she called it a bag of joints. It's like, yeah, that's pretty good. But she's like, then Vincent like runs after Mallory and, and uh, Jeanette's like, Vincent, he's like, I told you. And it's like, well, okay. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's like, it is sad. It's it's not, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's like you flush the whole daggone thing. Like, why don't you just hide it until like, if I was her, I would have just like been like, you have to take this back. It's not my problem. You know what I mean? It wasn't really Jeanette's problem to solve. It's like, okay, you stole it. Like, now take it back. And now um, Mallory's going to get in trouble because it's gone. So it's like, yikes. <clears throat> Jeanette's mom is freaking out. She's like, what are you charging her with? And she's like, we're not charging her, ma'am. And then she's like, then you can't hold a minor here, right? And she's like, we're not holding anyone, ma'am. And she's like, gosh, lady, you're freaking out. And then she's like, in here? You want to question her in here? This looks like the place where you chop off fingers. And that complex that are like, the heck are you talking about? We don't even do that. And she's like, it smells like blood and sweat and uh, urine in here. And he, she's like, calm down, ma'am. And Greg's like, you know, in my experience, when you tell someone to calm down, it has the opposite effect. It's like, he's not wrong, but <laughs> her mom is freaking out, which is like, I don't know. I guess it's understandable. 
but Jeanette's calm. She's like, just whatever. They're going to ask questions. I'm sure it's fine. Which they can't charge her with anything because they don't have any proof. And it's like, even if they did, she's a minor. And even if not, like, what are they going to charge her with? Seeing a kidnapping victim and not report withholding evidence? I don't, I don't even know what the charge would be, like, actually. You know, what is that? What is that an actual crime? Like, <laughs> do they have a word for that? You know, I mean, I'm sure they do, but it's just uh, being accomplice or complicit or something. Like, I, I don't know. And Jeanette's watching TV and this late night host is like, and then Jeanette is suing the kidnapping victim. He's like, I th wait a minute. I think we can all relate to Jeanette Turner. He's like, I'm kidding. Nobody can relate to her. And it's like, um, I'm pretty sure that like, <sighs> I'm pretty sure that like, in this situation specifically, a lot of people could relate to her, even though they don't want to admit it. How many people have heard rumors about their friends who are, I mean, I'm just going to say it, like in trigger warning, you know, talk about sexual assault, but most people are like in that position. Most people have been in that exact position where they've heard that their friends are, you know, people who harassed women or people that sexually assaulted women and they don't say anything they don't care they they're complicit so it's like or they make jokes or they make excuses or victim blame i mean so yeah all the people who do that everybody has done something like that at, at some point in their life you know so it's like so i'm sorry but no like she's not you know alone here I mean, honestly, and, and even in the show, like if Jeanette saw her and didn't say anything, you know, also who else is to blame for like Kate getting kidnapped, her mom, you know, the town for not like, you know, how, how much, how far do you want to take it? You know what I'm saying? Like that kind of makes me mad that he's saying that whenever it's like, but society itself victim blames and we have, we live in a rape culture where you know, people victim blame and assume that victims are lying. So it's like, we all are like that. The whole society is like that. You know, if, if it's your friend who's accused of sexual assault, you defend him. That makes you relatable to Jeanette Turner. Like, don't act like, you know, you're morally superior. Like, that kind of annoys me. It's like, so most people, yeah, uh, you know, that's one of those things. But anyway... Jeanette turns it to a channel where this girl is crying on the stand. It's like this show or something she's watching where this girl's crying on the witness stand and being like, they're lying about me. And then she starts copying her like she's trying to train herself how to be relatable. Cindy Turner looks just absolutely freaked the freak out in this interview. Like, so... <laughs> Jeanette starts copying this and it makes me want to smack her in the mouth when she starts copying that girl she's like Kate Wallace is lying about me I'm not the villain here I'm the victim and she's like smiling she's enjoying trying to train herself how to sound like a human being and it's like this is sociopathic behavior for sure I mean it is it really is and then we flash back to 94 where she's talking to the police and they show her the necklace that says you go girl and um, they're like, how did Kate Wallace have this if you weren't there? And she's like, oh, I have one like it. I had one like it. Which, what she's saying is totally believable. And it's like, you know, uh, 
rational, I guess, because she says, like, I had one like it. It was given to me by an ex-friend, so I threw it away. And she's like, there's a bajillion like it for sale at the mall. And she's right. Like, Kate could, like, having that necklace doesn't prove anything, really. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, whatever, but it's not definitive proof because it's like, you could just go buy one. Like, Kate obviously knew Jeanette had a necklace like this, so she could have went and bought one like it. And, you know, if, if Jeanette could produce her own and be like, this is mine, that would help her case, but she doesn't have it anymore, but, and we'll see why later. <laughs> I'm not saying this is not Jeanette's necklace that Kate has, it's just that, like, it's really not solid evidence at all, you know? It's just not, because you could go buy one like it, there's a thousand of them, so it's not really, you know. And she's like, I don't want to be mean, but they're like, why would Kate make this up? And she's like, I don't want to be mean, but I'm dating her ex, or was dating we had a fight um all, all couples fight i'm sure it's fine and her mom is just like oh, this girl is in freaking denial about her actual life like this boy punched her in the face and there she is acting like they had a silly little fight and they're like is the fight about kate wallace and she's like um and her mom looks like she's about to hyperventilate because she's like my daughter is a sociopath what the heck? and Greg is still on her side he's like if she said she threw it away she threw it away but it's like Cindy is kind of like who is this person that I birthed is she a monster or what like she's just like completely kind of delusional about her life you know because it's like Jamie punched her right in the face and she's like we had a little spat all couples fight and it's like huh like no girl like no this is not a normal fight face because his kidnapping victim ex-girlfriend it's a lot more dramatic than you're making it sound Jeanette like what world are you living in we switch back to her all you know trying to repeat it trying to train herself how to sound like the victim and it's like you know this really weird behavior she doesn't really she's trying to sound more likable which is like for, but on the one hand, it's kind of sociopathic behavior to try and do this. But on the other hand, you know, when you put yourself in a... If she, if she is the victim, like, people only believe victims who are, like, crying and rocking in the corner. You know, and it's like, that's not what real victims act like. Sometimes they're laughing. Sometimes they're... It's like, look at them having a good time. Nothing bad could have ever happened to them. And it's like... People can't stay in traumatized mode all the time or they would not make it. Like, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, and some days you just don't feel like it. I can attest to that. Like, every person who's ever been to therapy, like, most of the time when you actually go to therapy and they're like, how's it going? And you're like, everything's fine. <laughs> and everything feels fine. <clears throat> as soon as you try to go to therapy for something, you're like, oh, I feel fine. I don't even know why I'm here. But then you go home and you're like, my life is in shambles. Like, you cannot turn it on and off like that at the appropriate moments. So it's like, it's hard, you know, it's hard. So on the one hand, it's like, is she a sociopath or is this just like society's expectations of what a victim looks like? You know, <clears throat> her trying to be a stereotypical victim of something, you know, because it's like, even if you are the actual victim of something, you don't always... You know, you're not always crying and you're not always upset about it. So it's like, 
it's not fair that we expect a certain kind of behavior of like the perfect victim who's really sad or upset, you know, like, you know, I've been attacked. Um, you know, I'm a survivor of assault and the next day somebody told, talked about it in detail. Like, did this really happen this way? And I'm like, Oh yeah, whatever, you know, and kind of laughed it off. Cause I was just like, that's how, you know, cause it's like, yeah, you know, whatever. You know, I didn't want to talk about it. People don't handle things the way they react in movies, you know. So it's like you don't know how somebody, you know, you don't, there's no way to act like a true victim or a perfect victim. So it's a good thing to talk about that and be like, you know, sometimes, you know, it's sad that like for people to believe you as a survivor of something or be the victim of something for people to even believe what happened to you really happened, you have to be acting a certain way, you know, it's like, that's not how reality works. You know, I even heard people like, Oh, I don't really think that like, um, this woman is really going through something bad because she was washing her car and having it and laughing. And I'm like, huh? Like, she's always supposed to be crying, like, 24 hours a day. Like, I, I, or not do anything. Like, she's supposed to sit in a corner and cry all the time. Like, that's not, you can't do that. Or you will, you know, it's like, no, it, that's not how it works. People have to move on or live their life still, even if they have survived something. That's what surviving is about. You have to learn to not bury it, but, like... <sighs> survivors don't always you know I, I had someone say like we were talking about the me too movement and they disagreed with it and I'm like how could you possibly and they're like if you're a real victim of something like that then you have to go to therapy for life and I'm like that's actually not true at all like it's not true at all so it's like no that's not true like it's not how it's not how it is in the movies like if you get attacked once or you get assaulted once you're just like completely destroyed forever no you're not like you go on because you have to so it's like you know and I'm not saying it's not a part of like your trauma is still there but it's just like and your trauma you know like my trauma is probably going to be there forever just the memory of it but like I'm not it didn't destroy me you know it didn't destroy me at all so it's like I am a survivor because despite what happened to me, I moved on and I, you know, recovered. So, like, no, we're not always, survivors are not, like, always rocking in a corner crying and needing therapy all the time. Like, I have issues, but, and a lot of it to do with that. But, you know, mm -mm. we don't have to be in therapy every single day. My therapist told me that I don't need therapy regularly. So, it's like, you're wrong like you know and this is the whole idea of like survivors of things or victims of things always needing to act a certain way for people to believe them it's ridiculous it's not psychologically accurate <laughs> greg tries to have a conversation with Jeanette about jamie hitting her and she's denying it and he's like it's never okay for anybody to put their hands on you like that it's and he was wrong. And I'm like, thank you, <laughs> Greg. Yes, you're right. Which nobody in the show is denying that. Everybody's talking about how it's wrong. Even Jamie is like, you know, regrets it. But like Jeanette's trying to 
act like he didn't do that. And then she's like, did you tell mom? And she kind of admits it, you know, eventually. She's like, did you tell mom? And he was like, are you kidding? I have to wait until after the fireworks or else (laughs) she might uh, shoot a Roman candle straight at the Hensons. And it's like, honestly, like, let her. Like, I mean, for that, I don't blame her if she would do that. So she doesn't even know about that and she's already freaking out. But is it like... I don't know if Cindy is being like joy here and being like my reputation. I'll know, but she could be, but it's also, I think it's actual, like what the heck is wrong here? Like, you know, like something's wrong, you know, that's, we can't just keep being in denial that our daughter is a monster. (laughs) I mean, like she kind of thinks that she, you know, Jeanette's lying about stuff and she's not okay with it. And I think it's a moral issue over reputation with Cindy. So it's kind of, mm, you know, part of it might be reputation, but I think a lot of it is morality. And so I'm kind of not even mad about it. And then we go over to the video store where Benson's like, we're getting ready to close. And uh, it's Kate. So she's like, I'm going to, I'll try to be quick. And he's like, oh no, take your time. Like he feels bad for her and they're kind of like friendly. Um, they're sympathetic and um, Mallory comes in and sees her and Mallory's got like purple streaks and she's like I need a bad movie in the worst way <laughs> it's like what the heck but um so we're gonna Kate has rented Silence of the Lambs for one <laughs> Misery and then Groundhog Day and she's like yeah that one's for my dad it's like obviously um that's such a dad movie. I hate Groundhog's Day. I hate any movie that does that whole like stuck in one day thing. Gives me anxiety. But anyway, um, yeah, she's chosen Misery and Silence of the Lambs, which is like, you know, yeah, wow. And uh, Mallory is kind of looking at her and she's kind of like, uh, what are you staring at me for? <laughs> and Vince is like, I'm no expert, but shouldn't she be renting like Care Bear? or Sleepless in Seattle or not movies where people are kidnapped and tortured and Mallory just is like hmm <laughs> we're gonna see what Mallory says I, I know she kind of is more right about it than him but Mallory says maybe it's comforting you know looking under the bed seeing the monsters staring them down and she's actually that's actually accurate it actually psychologically does make sense that Kate would want to watch this but Vincent's not convinced <laughs> Vincent's not convinced it's almost halfway through, so I'm going to take an ad break um, when it gets to halfway through, but I'm going to wait till a scene change. And Vincent's like, uh, you're not going to mock her about Kate? And she's like, she actually went through something. Like, I'm not heartless. And he's like, yeah, but her movie selection's kind of creepy. And she's like, speaking of creepy, my mom's going on a date with the Edgar guy, so want to come over and watch a bad movie and stuff her faces? And I'm like, honestly, that sounds awesome, Mallory. <laughs> like... I don't hate Mallory, like, I really just don't. I think she's actually sincere in her, like, oh, crap, she actually did go, like, Mallory mocking people, you know, like, I could see her mocking people, but not, apparently, you know, plus she's growing up, you know, and she's getting more mature, I don't think she would be, like, something that's this bad, I think she's kind of like, yikes, I'm not gonna, no, that's a line I won't cross, and, um, Vincent's like, I can't, I'm helping a friend. And she's like, that friend wouldn't be Jeanette, would it? And she's kind of bossy about like, hey, don't 
don't be friends with her. It's kind of like, what? Why? And Vincent's like, don't worry about it. <laughs> and then they you know, he's closing up, so they leave. And then we flash over to uh, 93. And, um, Cindy Turner is telling Jeanette that flushing, I guess Jeanette told her mom about flushing the pot and her mom's like, that was a good thing. That was being a good friend. And she's like, now Mallory's mad at me. And Cindy's kind of like, woohoo, don't be friends with Mallory anymore because <laughs> she's not cool and popular. And uh, she's like, As friends go apart. It's totally normal. And she's like, you can branch out and find new friends. And Jeanette's like, it's not like people are waiting to be my friend. And she's like, Kate Wallace was complimenting her style. You should be friends. You could be close like her mom and I used to be. It's like, oh, we're getting more info. But just, yeah, Cindy Turner is trying to be like, Jeanette, you should be popular. <laughs> Ditch Mallory for Kate. It's like, um, she just wants her to be popular. And I found that annoying because it's like, mm, I don't like this micromanaging your daughter's life. <laughs> Especially like her popularity and stuff. That's just really creepy to me. But she does say that Joy used to follow her around like a puppy. So it's like, I kind of believe Cindy here. She's acting just more, I just believe her. That she, you know, because Joy tried to act like Cindy wanted to be her, but Cindy's saying it was the opposite. So I kind of believe Cindy about it. So Kate's dad likes Cindy Turner. So it wasn't Rod, it was Kate's dad. Like her, you know, her biological dad who died. So that's why Joy doesn't like Cindy, I think. <laughs> um, and I believe Cindy about this. She was homecoming queen and all this. She really was. So it's like, I believe her that she's she was the popular one and Joy wanted to be her. She says Joy was awkward, which I believe because she acts like she's gripping her social standing so tight. And Cindy's just kind of like, okay, whatever, I don't care. You know, it's, it's my daughter's turn. Popularity matters to teenagers, but not adults, you know, and so Joy is not over it. She's kind of coaching her on being popular. She's like, your braces could come off and you're going to be popular, blah, blah, blah. And Cindy says something about Rob Wallace wanted her, but she wasn't available. And she's like, I'm hot. <laughs> whatever. And she's just like, okay, whatever. So, and then Cindy says, if you're really still worried about Mallory, a peace offering, you know, everybody likes presents. And it's like, see, this is why I trust Cindy more and like her better than Joy, because she's not, she's like, well, you know, I'm trying to say that it's okay if you're not friends with Mallory, but I'm also not going to push you completely, you know, and and she's trying to coach her towards being friends with Kate, but she's not forcing it and not being, like, horrible about it. She's like, well, if you're still worried about Mallory, maybe you could get her a present or something. And so she's kind of a little bit more human than Joy. She's a little bit more, like, actually nice and actually helpful, you know? So it's like... It's not, she's not trying to actually force Jeanette to be popular. She's just trying to help her. And uh, she really is sincere about it more than Joy, you know. And uh, she's better, I just think she's better at this, <laughs> like her whole thing. And then, you know, Jeanette's like, I don't want to go watch fireworks. And her mom's like, whatever, fine. And then, uh, yeah, it's getting down to the wire. So uh, we got... 19 minutes left. It's over halfway, but um, we're going to take an ad break. So I'll talk to you after the ad break. Okay, and that was the ad break. Um, 
that lasted for me for like almost a day, but, <laughs> um, so what, 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 where are we at? Oh, anyway, I'm going to jump back into it after a quick, like, <laughs> I just want people's opinion on this and you can at me on Twitter or whatever. It's Rainfielder. You know, I'm easy to find. It's, my name's the same everywhere. But um, I've been thinking about the 90s for one thing because of Cruel Summer, but also just like other reasons because I was talking to somebody about 90s music. Um, I was just thinking about the song Bittersweet Symphony by The Verve and how it played. At the, like that song playing at the end of Cruel Intentions was just the best usage of a song in a movie. Like, it's one of the best uses. It's just, like, the song makes it. Even though I kind of don't have the same opinions and feelings about the movie as I used to. I mean, Annette, I'm still on her side, but it's like, you know, maybe instead of, like, being mean to Catherine, we could, like, give her therapy and, like, she's talking about the patriarchy and how, like, Sebastian's can get away with this, but she has to pretend to be good because she's a woman and it's like, can we not talk about how Catherine had, like, points, like, actual points here? She's not just flat out mean, you know? Like, she's mean, but it comes from a place of, like, agitation with her environment of being trapped under the patriarchy. So it's like, maybe I should do a, a, a discussion about that. But anyway, um, I was just thinking about the song Bittersweet Symphony, and I'm like, that song is like so good <laughs> it's like got an orchestra you know it's got everything you need like if you listen to that song and you think you know what else could you want what more could you want from a song than what that song delivers to us I mean honestly it's catchy but it's not like overly catchy in an annoying way it's like when you hear it you're like yes and you feel classy listening to it because there's like an orchestra and <laughs> it's like is there anything missing from that song that you would need in a song? Like, honestly, I mean, it's a male voice and I guess, you know, if you like female voices, but like, it's just the song itself. It's, I can't think of anything I would like change about that song. Like, it's just, it's so perfect. It's like, how could you, like, if you had to choose one song to listen to forever, like, would it not be that song? Like, I mean, maybe not, but like, Honestly, like, I, I can't imagine getting annoyed with that song. I just, and it's like, if you want to, like, you can't listen to it over and over again. But, like, I mean, it's not the type that you would want to do that with. But tell me that you hear that song ever and don't get excited. You know, like, every time I hear that song, it hits all the emotional points that it needs to hit. Like, it, it is doing its job so well of hitting all the emotional points that you need and the fact that somebody picked that song for that moment in that movie hitting the exact the song is perfectly like the emotional resonance of the song is so perfect for that moment that it's like I have this obsession and I think it's because I've done this my entire life where I, every time I listen to a song a really good song if I'm like sitting down listening to a song I always make my own music videos to them in my head every time. I always just have done that. 
And thanks to the internet, I've been able to, uh, you know, make them on YouTube based, you know, using clips from TV shows and stock footage and stuff. So it's like my, you know, I love moments in movies or shows. Another moment that was just perfectly edited with the perfect song was, um, on Pretty Little Liars when Spencer was investigating Ezra and she stays up all night and keeps taking those pills and they play Sail <laughs> like by AWOL Nation like that is the perfect song for that moment the the, the editing of that scene like it, it, it's like a cut scene it's kind of like a montage of her investigating Ezra and like the emotions of that time period and her you know state of mind and everything all of that was just so well done. And I, I just have this obsession with, like, using the right songs for the right moments in, like, movies and shows. And, like, I like, you know, when I listen to music, making up my own, like, music videos in my head. And so um, I always have. So it's just, like, I just think. And Chris Moyer, who I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, he is the guy that picks out picked out songs to play during Pretty Little Liars. Shout out to him because he is fantastic. He is perfect at his job. And I'll tell you what. <laughs> I don't want to spoil anything. But if you haven't seen Mr. Robot, skip over for like a few seconds. Because the moment of the finale or the almost finale, like the very last episodes of Mr. Robot were like the two last episodes were shown at the same time. It was like a two hour finale. But the first one where Elliot, you know, wakes up in that um, parking lot <laughs> and when he starts walking um, under that like town that, that sign and they start playing Mr. Roboto. The noise I made, I don't even know what noise I made when that happened. I screamed. I screamed, like, out loud in real life because they, they, they started playing that song. And I was, I recognized it instantly. It's like, don't Mr. Roboto. Like, immediately. And, and, and after that... <laughs> Ever since that moment, when they started playing that song at that very moment, because you've been waiting, you know, this whole time of watching Mr. Robot. This is in season four, the very last episode, pretty much. And hearing that, I don't know if I'm ever going to be, like, I could get married, probably, and, like, I will not be that excited on my wedding day. <laughs> like, I don't think, I'm like, I don't, I'm scared that there's never going to be another moment in my life where I'm as, as excited, you know. <laughs> there's going to be, like, it would take a lot to make me feel that happy and excited as I did at that moment when they started playing that song of Mr. I'm not kidding. We had all been waiting for it and it dropped at the exact right time. I'm just, you know, and luckily I was watching uh, 
the last season live, like as it came on television. I, I binge watched like the first three seasons on Amazon, but because I was late to the game, you know, but I'm glad I binge watched it, but I'm glad I'm also glad I watched the last season live. Like as it aired, especially the last episode, I like watched it directly on TV, like live. And when they started playing that song, <laughs> y'all, I can't tell you how happy I was. Like, that was the moment. I don't know why I'm even talking about this right now, but yeah, I got off on this tangent. This is what I do. But anyway, Cruel Summer's pretty good at picking out songs too. But anyway, I just want to talk about Bittersweet Symphony. And then, of course, I have to bring up Mr. Robot and Pretty Little Liars. Like, <laughs> It's like, yeah, I'm going to bring up those two shows probably in almost every single podcast. But, you know, that's just me. Maybe sprinkle in some Jessica Jones. Like, literally the only painting on my wall, the only picture on my wall at all, except for, like, in my office. Okay, here's my here's my pictures that are up in my house. Of The only ones of anybody. Like, in, in my bathroom, I have, like, decorative, like, you know, pictures of Paris, you know, themed things. But... Um, in my office, I have a painting of She-Ra, the original She-Ra. I like the newer version cartoon better, but as a painting, it looks better with her on, um, Swiftwind. Uh, it's, it's her riding Swiftwind at She-Ra. It's a great painting, actually. It's, it's a really well done, but and then I have a picture of Wonder Woman also in my office, uh, kneeling, holding her sword. And then in my living room, literally the only picture on my wall in my living room at all is a giant picture of Jessica Jones. And, um, yeah. So, the only pictures of anybody I have up... Well, I have setting on my, like, um, a picture of my grandparents is the only one. Like, it's not on the walls. It's just setting on my, like, coffee table thing. And then on my desk in my office, I have a picture... Um, a signed photograph of Janelle Parrish from when I met Janelle Parrish, which was like the highlight of my whole Pray Liar experience. Um, I met Tamman Sursock, who plays Jenna, and I met Brendan Robinson, who plays Lucas. He was super nice. I met um, Toby Cavanaugh. I met uh, Keegan Allen, but I couldn't talk to him because there was like a line that went... <laughs> The line was, there was like, oh, I can't even describe it. The line was so long. That was not his fault. Like, <laughs> he was trying to get to everybody. And that was actually nice of him to try to get to everybody. And like, everybody had to kind of like move along, you know. But he wasn't, it's like, he will only sign one thing for you. But he signed two things for me. But Keegan was super nice. Um, there was this kid in front of me. And like, she was scared to talk to him. And he like, paused the whole entire line to like, make her feel more comfortable. So Keegan was super nice. Tamman was super nice. Janelle was super nice. Like all of them were super nice. But like the thing that stands out to me about Brendan Robinson, and if he ever hears this, like he actually, like I posted, we took a picture together and I posted it on Instagram and he like commented on the picture and was like, I'm so glad you had a good time. Like we stood there and had like a conversation. And like I had went to a Gwen Stefani concert like a couple weeks before that and I told him about it because he's like, how's your summer been? And I'm like, I went to a Gwen concert. He's like, that is awesome. She's so great. She lives near me, blah, blah, blah. We had like a conversation and I felt like he was so 
easy to get to know and to talk to. And he was like helping the staff of the mall, like move furniture and stuff. Like he was so humble and nice that I just can't say enough about how like I'm just so like everybody needs to go support like Brendan Robinson so much. Like he is such a nice guy. Like I can't even like I'll get into a discussion. I think I might have already brought this up, but like Brendan was on um the Pretty Little Wine Moms podcast talking about how like when he was cast for Pretty Little Liars, they told him he couldn't date Hannah. Like Lucas couldn't date Hannah because he's like, and it made me feel really insecure about the way I look. And I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, I really thought about it, and I'm like, I have met Keegan Allen and Brendan, and I'm a heterosexual woman, and you know, watching Toby and Lucas on Pretty Little Liars, it seems like there's a vast difference in how attractive they are on the show. But having met them in real life, like seeing them in person, they are they are equally attractive in real life. Like they don't look like they do on TV. Like it was just an eye-opening moment for me of how people are perceived on TV and stuff and how makeup and lighting and everything and how you know, the camera treats the person. Like, we see Keegan Allen, you know, Toby being, like, this stud with, like, muscles and blah, blah, blah. He's portrayed as, like, this hot guy. And Lucas is portrayed as this n nerdy guy. But, like, having met them in real life, they're about the same size. They're about the same attractiveness level. And I'm like, it's all the show. It's not them. Because they are, if I met them, if they, I mean, I met them. But if they weren't famous and I didn't know their characters on TV, like, and you told me, like, pick which one of these guys is hotter, I would be like, I mean, they're equally hot. Like, they're equally attractive. So if Brendan hears this, I want you to know that, like, from somebody that's met you both in real life, and this is not a diss on Keegan at all, like, it's just, you're both hot. Like, Keegan's really hot in real life. Like, he's super cute and nice. But, like, Brendan is as well like Brendan is just as hot as Keegan Allen in real life and this is and and when I met them like on tv yeah on like Lucas the character on Pretty Little Liars you know I I, I never thought Lucas was cute not even a little bit <laughs> but that's Lucas but re meeting Brendan in real life it's like Brendan actually doesn't look like Lucas at all <laughs> like he really just doesn't look like Lucas they do so much with, like, how he's portrayed, you know, and how people act about him and around him, that it really messes with how you perceive how cute he is, you know, and it's, like, it really was eye-opening to me about, like, how everybody is perceived on television. It's, like, are they really attractive or are they just on TV? You know, <laughs> is the camera just making you believe that they're attractive or are they actually attractive or, or you know, opposite, you know? So it's, like, you know, just, it, 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 it really was like, wow, you know, cause you know, Tamman, you know, I'm like, Ooh, Jenna, she's awful, but I never really thought she wasn't pretty. But like when I met her in real life, I'm like, gosh, she's so gorgeous. Like her eyes are this brilliant green. And like, you know, with Janelle Parrish, she's so gorgeous and cute and she's really tiny. Both her Tam Tamman's really tiny too, but it's just, it's like, you know, and they're smaller than they seem on TV. Like, t like Keegan Allen is a lot smaller in real life. And, like, it just seems weird, you know, because it's like, 
I figured Keegan Allen would be like a lot taller and bigger than Brendan Robinson, but they're about the same size, you know, and they're just as cute as each other. And it's like, if you told somebody who'd never met them that, and like they had only seen the show, they'd be like, what? You know, it just seems unbelievable because on the show, the way they're portrayed, it just seems like Toby is so much cuter than Lucas, but like in real life, there's not a difference in how attractive they are. They are just as e- they're equally attractive in real life. And I wish Brendan could hear me say that because I want him to know that that's the actual facts. Like I wouldn't even like if it wasn't true, I wouldn't even bring it up, you know? So it's like, cause I wouldn't, I wouldn't talk about it if he wasn't cute, you know, but like he, it just, I was like, wait a minute. You know, when I, when he said that and I actually started thinking back to meeting them, I'm like, well, no, like, you know, <laughs> that's not accurate. They're actually just as cute as each other. Like, both of them are really cute. Like, it, it's just, uh, yeah. I mean, I love Keegan, too. He's cute as a button, but so is Brendan. So, yeah, I just don't want people to know, like, when you're watching stuff, it's also a good lesson in, like, don't compare yourself to people on TV because they are they don't look like that. You know, like, nobody looks the way they do on TV. Like, they have hours of makeup and hair and camera, you know, lighting and all this stuff. They don't always look that way. You know, they try to, like, make celebrities look bad by showing them, like, oh, we caught Pamela Anderson without makeup. And it's like, yeah, she looks like a human being, just like everybody else. You know, I don't like dissing them that way. And it's not, like, a diss to them. It's just, like, let's stop having these, like, high expectations for people, you know? Let's just let everybody be who they are, you know? And and also recognize that, like, when the camera is telling you somebody's hot... It's the camera telling you somebody's hot, you know, because they manipulate. It manipulates. And uh, I'm just saying, like, be aware of that. Because I didn't realize how much of a difference it would make until until I thought about those two. And that situation is like, wow, I didn't realize it made such a huge difference. Because you would think, you know, you think you have an idea of how much of a difference, how somebody's portrayed is, you know... You think you know about, you know, you you think you're aware, you know, it's like, well, they portray him as nerdy, but he's not that nerdy, but he still looks like that. And it's like, you don't, you don't realize how big of a difference it makes until you go through something like I did like that. And like, when you meet him like that, you don't realize how much of a difference it makes, how they're being portrayed. Like, it really blew my mind. I thought I had a grip and a grasp on like, you know, being aware of how much they do change how somebody is perceived until I, you know, thought about that and met them. And, uh, it's a lot more, (laughs) they change it a lot more, you know, they change your perception of someone a lot more than you think they do. And, uh, they can always have the exact right angles on somebody. They, you know, it's just, it's, you know, it's crazy that that happens, you know, it's like, well, wow, you know, you're not, they're not ever catching anybody in a bad moment. If like on Cruel Summer, they're never catching Kate in a bad moment, which Olivia Holt is gorgeous. I know she is. And, uh, you know, but it's like, she's also supposed to be like, you know, when she's at home, I'm sure she would admit this too. Like when she wakes up in the first thing in the morning, she doesn't look like she does on the show, you know, which I'm sure she's great. Like, I love her, but it's just like, you know, and that's 
you know, with Prela Lars, you know, hearing Troyan and all the other actresses, they always push for people to know that, like, this is not what we always look like. This is makeup and hair, like, especially Troyan would always try to say that. Troyan's gorgeous and I love her. She's, like, one of my favorite people in the world. And she's, you know, she's very much an advocate for letting people know reality. And so is Ashley Benson. And I'm like, I love them for that, too. Like, actually trying to tell people, like, hey, you know we are not an expectation to be because this is not what we look like all the time. Like when we're on ca camera, you know, so it's like, it's really good. And Lily Reinhardt is really good about that too. Um, she's really good about talking about that. So anyway, I, I just want people to be aware of that. <laughs> and here I am 20 minutes in and I haven't even started the show. Let's get to it. So Vincent is leaving the video store with um, Ben Mallory takes off around the corner and Ben's like, do you think she knows where we're going and what we're going to do there and all this? And it's, it's made to seem like it's part of the mystery of like, you know, Jeanette and all that. But he's like, no, she doesn't know, whatever. But actually they're just going to this house <laughs> to hang out and dance with each other. <laughs> like, I don't think that's much of a spoiler, but they're, they're, you know, they're a couple basically. And this is a nine four. Right after Kate. <laughs> had run in silence of the lambs of mystery um ben picked up vince from work and they're going to the secret location okay so it switches to 95 and Jeanette is sitting there reading and Derek comes in and they actually have a sweet like conversation he's like she tells him, I saw Kate today, but even worse, she saw me. <laughs> like, yeah. She kind of <laughs> almost broke in your window. And um, he's being nice to her. He's like, she's like, I miss the days when nobody hated me and nobody wanted me dead. And he's like, well, you have a devastatingly handsome older brother that doesn't want you dead. And she's like, no, I have a delusional brother that, do that doesn't want me dead. And it's like, <laughs> this is really kind of sweet. She tells him that some girl called, and I didn't think much of this, but it actually is, like, a thing that pops up later that's kind of a secret. And, um, then he says, uh, speaking of phone calls, you should take mom's call every once in a while. And so at this point, we've been wondering, like, we don't see her mom at all in 95, so where is she? What happened? And, uh, apparently she just left. And, um, but she's been calling and trying to talk to Jeanette, and Jeanette doesn't want to talk to her, so it's like... Hmm. Okay, then. <laughs> so we find out a lot there. And then Jeanette is leaving, and Greg is sitting there drinking, watching TV, and he's like, where are you going? And she's like, out. He's like, do you think that's a good idea? And she's like, yeah. He's like, like the good idea to leak the lawsuit to the press before we even serve Kate? Like, Greg, even, is almost tired of Jeanette's bullcrap. <laughs> like, he's just tired, man. He's like, Joy, y'all, I am tired. <laughs> That's how Greg feels inside right now. <laughs> but, yeah. It's 4th of July, and Jeanette's like, everyone's going to be at the fireworks. And Greg's like, not everyone. Like, it didn't go too well, did it? About the lawsuit. <laughs> like, he's so tired of this. And then Jeanette goes out the door. It's like nighttime. And it's 4th of July. It's just 
so there's gonna be fireworks and Vincent is taking out the trash and he sees Jeanette and it's like why are you not fireworks Vincent but okay then we go back to 94 where they're at this like gathering of people waiting for the fireworks it looks like it's some sort of park where everyone goes to watch fireworks it's typical small town I like how the show is showing like well we'll get to that in a minute so they're at this park and Jeanette's looking around and she sees Jamie and she starts smiling and it's like what are you doing <laughs> like you think things are good <clears throat> like you think things are just good now like I whatever and he looks at her like oh crap like he he looks at her like she's an on fire garbage can and she's smiling at him like nothing's wrong and then uh <laughs> her mom is seeing all these people talking about them because Jamie ignores her and then she runs off and then her mom Cindy is like noticing everybody's whispers and she, she can't take the scrutiny she's just devastated there's a lot of quick cuts here uh, we cut to Ben and Vincent in the car that's the 94 still and uh, Ben's like you you believe her blah 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 he's like you would never lie for her would you and he's like no and Ben's like, well, if you believe her, then I'll believe her. And it's, like, sweet or whatever, but we're going to see some stuff go on. <laughs> like, poor Vincent's just trying to, like, live his life and have a good time. And, like, everybody's dragging him into their messes. And he's like, I did not sign up for this. Like, <laughs> why y'all? I'm just trying to be a good friend to everybody. It's just so hard. And then in 93, Nerdy Jeanette is going over to Martin Harris's house and letting herself in with the key just for the heck of it. Like, what is this about? Like, what is what is your obsession? Like, she just likes the thrill or something. Then um, Vincent and Ben drive up to this creepy looking house. It looks like the house from Halloween or something. And you're like, what the heck are they doing? They're acting like this is a huge deal. They're like, the online forum said this is a place. And Vincent's like, are we really doing this? And I'm like, what is it? <laughs> what the heck? And Ben's like, with you? Yeah, I'm ready. And they go in and really all it is is just a place, like a house that somebody set up. It's a house that somebody set up that um, gay couples can go to and be free to be gay there. And like, without anybody seeing them it's not like a gay club where people will know if you went there you know and uh it's like a secret location and this is what I'm talking about like a lot of people nowadays don't know like in the, the like 90s just how hard it was to even like because all the people are doing is dancing with each other and you know holding hands and stuff and it's not like an orgy or anything weird it's just they're just wanting to be together and, um, these two just, I'm like, I feel like, for one thing, these two seem like they're on a totally separate show as everybody else, because they're getting along and it's not that dramatic, but it's also, like, everybody else is being so mean and, like, I mean, not mean, but everybody else is, like, having all this drama and they're just like, can we just, like, live our lives? If anyone in the show is collateral damage to this drama, it's Vincent and Ben. Especially Ben, but we'll find out why later. 
<laughs> so Jeanette walks over and talks to Jamie, and she just expects him to date her. It's like, why do you even want to date him? You know? And he's like, she's like, I thought you believed me. I want you to believe me. Blah, blah, blah. I got questioned by the police. And he's like, yeah, so did I. And, um, I'm not for the right reasons. But, um, <laughs> so, the, he's like, even if I believed you, like, I'm with Kate now. Like, Kate's back and I'm not going to abandon her. And I'm like, I'm not sure Kate even likes you anymore or did to begin with, but okay. Um, I mean, he's trying to do the right thing, but it's like, you know, <laughs> you're still weird, Jamie, and you still hit Jeanette. You suck. But she's like, he's like, Kate can't, because she's like, we kissed. And he's like, Kate can't find out about that. And she's like, haven't you heard? I'm really good at keeping secrets. And it's like, hmm. I mean, how many layers <laughs> does that statement have? Like, honestly. And he's like. How is it that, like, when Kate went missing, you seemed like the only person that knew? Like, you were the first person that knew. You told me that she was missing, and it seemed like you were the only one that even knew she was missing. We see why that is later. It's, it's seem, he's making it seem like it's so dramatic, but it's like, no, that's not even fit what Kate said, because, like, apparently she went missing several months before Jeanette supposedly saw her, so it's like, what you're saying right now, Jamie, doesn't even actually matter. Like, I guess he might be saying that, like, she knew from the beginning and also went over there and saw her. I, I don't know what he's trying to say, really, because it doesn't really even match what Kate is trying to say. <laughs> but we think it's some dramatic thing. Like, maybe she was in, in on it or, you know, help Martin Harris kidnap her or something to get rid of her, you know, so she could have Jamie. Uh, I kind don't blame Jamie for being like a little leery here because it's like what, what does he know you know what I mean like he doesn't know what's going on and he's just trying to be there for Kate and I don't know if it's necessarily just about dating Kate it's you know is it you know what does he actually want from Kate you know it's not just he he wants to date Kate more or Jeanette less or anything like that it's more about like he thinks Kate needs him, which she doesn't need him, but, like, he thinks that, so he's, I don't know. And then we get back to, uh, sorry. I'm eating string cheese and crackers. I eat, the, I eat string cheese and crackers, like, every single day. That's, like, my dinner every day. But anyway, we get back to 93, and... The little weirdo Jeanette is in Martin Harris's house for some reason. And fireworks are going off outside. It's really creepy. And he has the Widow Falls, like, yearbook from 92. And it's like, I'm thinking, like, oh, so he's not that old. And then it shows in there that he was the principal at Widow Falls. So it's like, how old is Martin Harris? Like, I need to look that up because this is... Mm -mm. Like... He was already the principal somewhere else and left. Like, in 92, he was the principal somewhere else. So that means, like, how many years? <laughs> you know, how many years? How old is he? I'm going to have to look that up. But then we switch over. She hears a noise in 93. And then it switches over to 95. And somebody's busting in the window. And it happens to be her. You know, because she doesn't have the key anymore. <laughs> 
It's like, what is your obsession with breaking down house? I, I would just think that would be so boring. It's like, what? Why? Why? It's not. She's not obsessed with Martin. She doesn't care about Martin necessarily. She just likes breaking that she can break in a house. And it's like, if anything, I would go get more keys from my dad's office and like try out different houses. I would get bored with the same house over and over. Like, what the heck? It's just a house. And it keeps cutting back and forth between night three and night five of Jeanette wandering around the house. She's taking kind of the same path around the house, but like fireworks are going off and you can see them reflected on her face. And they just really like, like, <laughs> I know they put this in here because it just looks really cool, you know? It, it looks cool and that's about it. It doesn't really add much to the plot except for the fact that she's in there. And then in night three, we see her knocking on Mallory's door. And Mallory's like, pizza rolls, pizza rolls, pizza rolls. That's all she ever talks about. Pizza rolls are pretty good. Though. <laughs> and so she brings the yearbook to Mallory and tells her what she did. And she's like, I'm trying to act like I'm not impressed. And she's like, I want you to know I take this list seriously, blah, blah, blah. It's like, this kind of seems like a real friendship at this moment. <laughs> and she's like, <clears throat> wait, do you want to hang out? I have pizza rolls and Janice's at home. And it's like, Mallory, what is it with you and pizza rolls? Like, honestly. <laughs> but they hug and they're all friends again for now. And, uh, <laughs> so, I don't know. And so Mallory knows that she went back to the house. And she's like, you know, and one of the list items was to steal something. And she stole that yearbook. And it's like, mm, that's weird, kind of. I mean, why would she even want a yearbook? Yeah, it's just weird. But they're doing whatever. That's their thing. Or whatever. And uh, Mallory forgives her and they're all happy. And Jeanette? I don't know. I mean, as far as these two splitting up as friends, I feel like it was inevitable because I just... They just keep butting heads and stuff. And it's like, I don't know exactly... It's at different times that I side with one or the other. Like, I don't side with one of them on their fights completely the whole time. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like I'm always on Mallory's side or I'm always on Jeanette's side. It's kind of like, it's more like they just don't get along. <laughs> like, they just don't go together. They don't have, you know, it's just, you know, they just don't belong together as friends. Jeanette is walking in 95. She's walking down into the basement of Martin Harris's house. And someone yells at her and she's like, what? And it's Vincent. He's like, well, what are you doing here? And uh, she takes a minute, you know, so I feel like she's kind of like, I don't know. It's like, what is she doing, you know? And uh, yeah, we'll see what she says. I mean, she says a bunch of stuff, but I don't know. If it's like, is she even telling the truth? Because <laughs> she's not. So she says all this bullcrap about how she got a bad feeling when they were playing hide and seek in 93 in that basement. And she thought it was her fault that bad things happened there. <clears throat> and she wanted to come back and see if she could undo it. Which is like, eh, whatever. He's like, did it work? And she was like, no, I guess it was just magical thinking. And he's like, I called Ben today. And she's like, you said you were going to stop that. And she kind of smiles. And it's like, they're friendly. You know, they're they're friendly. And they talk and stuff, apparently. <coughs> and he's like, 
I was just hoping that maybe Tom heals all wounds. And uh, she's like, did it work? And he's like, no, I guess that was magical thinking too. And they're kind of like, you know, they have, you know, they, they get along. They're, they're friends. And uh, then we switch over to, I guess it's the next day because it's 95 and they're talking to, uh, Jeanette's lawyer's talking to Vincent and she's like, how long have you known her? And she's, he's like, well, we were born, you know, next to each other, so my whole life. And she's like, what's your relationship now? And he's like, well, she mostly stays to herself. And they're like, to your knowledge, has she been back in the house since you guys played hide and seek in there that first time? Because obviously the police and everybody know, like, they told them, like, yeah, we went in there once because we were playing hide and seek in an abandoned house. Like, it's, it's not a big deal. And she's like, did she ever get back in there? And he's like, no. It's like, you just saw her in there last night. <laughs> and we see opposing counsel asking him, like, how many times did Jeanette go in that house? And, Vince, and uh, then we hear, um, <laughs> I guess uh, Jeanette's lawyer's like, um, ha to your knowledge, has Jeanette ever lied? And he was like, no, not that I could recall. And then the opposing counsel's like, so Jeanette's George Washington. She cannot tell a lie. <laughs> Hmm. which that about him is also a lie but whatever and uh <laughs> he's like well I don't know if she can and he's like did she go back in that house ever after that first time and he's like did Mallory say something and he's like no, no. like you, you're answering the question and um we switch, switch back to him and Jeanette and Martin Harris's basement and he's like uh, Jeanette, I need to ask you something. And I'm not sure if this is before or after he talks to the lawyers. Like, which one is which? Like, which one goes first? But anyway, he's like, have you ever been back here? And she's like, yeah, a lot of times. I got addicted to the rush of it. And he's like, either he's thinking, like, I have to lie to the lawyers or I already lied to the lawyers. I don't know which one's first. Because it's, both of them are in 95, so... And so, um, she tells him she's been back a lot, and then, uh, he tells the lawyers, like, no, she hasn't been back in there. I was like, um, so he lied for her, I think. And so, then we switch back to 93, where she's putting that key back in her little jewelry box that she thinks is, like, the most secret location on Earth, <laughs> for some reason. It doesn't even have a lock. And then in the jewelry box is a joint. She kept one of the joints that she told Mallory she threw away. And she, like, holds it up to herself, like, seeing how she looks smoking it. Because they're like, Jeanette's a bad girl who holds pot to her mouth. <laughs> she doesn't even light it, but, you know. And then uh, we switch back to the basement, and she's, like, staring at Vincent, and he's staring at her. And she's like, is there something else you want to ask me? And then that's the end. So it's like... They're trying to make her look suspicious and that like, you know, they're trying, because at first it seems like she's just this like defenseless nerdy girl who always tries to do the right thing. And then now they're showing like, oh, she's got a bad side. Like she's got, you know, she's got some edge. She's, she's disobeying the rules and it gives her a rush every time, you know, she just, it doesn't even matter what the rule is. She just likes doing things that are breaking the rules because it gives her a rush. So she's a thrill seeker, 
you know, that type. And so it's like, um, it's kind of, we're seeing some traits here. <laughs> but anyway, um, the next episode will be all, it's going to be episode five. Are we already on episode five? We shouldn't be. Um, We shouldn't be on episode 5. We should be on episode 4 next. What is episode 4? It's a Kate episode. An ocean inside me. No. That's 6. You don't hunt. You don't eat. It's number 4. Oh yeah. I remember that. I like it. It's definitely a Kate episode. But anyway. This has been episode 3. Um, off with a bang. Or whatever. What? <laughs> I don't even know if that's the right... Oh my gosh. My hood just shut down. Uh, it is not. This is not okay. I keep pushing buttons and it's just. I pushed a button and my TV just went off. Like this is ridiculous. But anyway. That was that. And um. Yeah. We're moving right along. Uh, some, some of the things I want to say and discuss can't come until later on like a different episode like a later episode because of certain things I don't want to spoil it completely um so yeah that was that um see these Jeanette episodes just have like a lot of stuff about you know how mean Jeanette is or whatever. like just I don't know a lot of the mystery but like with the Kate episodes, there's a lot of, like, psychological stuff and, like, parenting stuff and, like, blah, blah, blah. I mean, there's some here, too, but it's just, <clears throat> you know. So, that was that. And, um, I guess that's all I wanted to talk about. Um, this is pretty long. So, um, anyway... <laughs> We talked about a lot of stuff. Um, <clears throat> go, uh, if you just search uh, Rainfielder, if you search for Rainfielder in Google, you should be able to find my books on Amazon. And, you know, like I said, you can find me on TikTok under Rainfielder. Rainfielder author is my Facebook page. Um, I have a Facebook author page. <clears throat> you can like that. And share this and, you know, subscribe, whatever. Do all the things to help me out, man. <laughs> um, and I've been listening to this other podcast I just found out about. Well, instead of adding it to my podcast list, I'm just watching it on YouTube. Um, the Sid and Olivia talk SHIT. They're hilarious. So they, <laughs> they had a lot of funny stuff to say. She was like, oh, I can't, I don't know. Just go listen. It's great. They're funny. <clears throat> but anyway, um, that's all I wanted to say for this episode. The little bit that we saw Kate was like my favorite part. I'm just a huge Kate fan. But anyway, <laughs> um, <clears throat> and remember, you were actual trash, Jeanette Turner. <laughs> <laughs>